Well, hello. Welcome to our leadership communication skills section where we're going to put this all together to help make you a better communicator and a better leader. We're going to talk about the attributes of good communication in this unit. We're going to talk about body language and the environment and some control you have over that to influence more effective communication. We're going to talk about a clever thing called scarf theory which is a cognitive uh, framework for effective communication. And then we're going to apply some techniques for providing formal and informal feedback. Uh, this is going to help you be an advanced listener. And uh, we're going to teach some uh, very effective uh, questioning techniques as we go through this piece. And we're going to get you past the anxiety that comes from providing some feedback in real situations. So let's talk about effective or good communicators. So what is it that you like? What, what is it that you don't like? You know, do you, do you see either of those things in yourself? Are you modeling after people whose styles that you like? Uh, what do you look for in leadership attributes? You know, do, do, you, do you like uh, people's styles or do you like a, a certain way of communicating? And what, uh, which of those styles work and do they work in all circumstances? And if they don't, why don't they work in all circumstances? Think about that a little bit. So, you know, how, how do we go ahead moving forward to develop a leadership style that's going to work for us and uh, allows us to not only understand but be understood. That really is the challenge. The reason we, we spend so much time in this is we need to look at what is it that, that causes you know, fear and anxiety or what causes a lack of trust inside of your space. We talk about uh, other leaders and, and their sense of vision. In, you know, as, a, as a follower at this moment, how much vision do you need from the leaders around you? And, do you want to see them taking some risk? And if so, how much risk do you want to see? And back to the vision piece, how important is vision to you if it can't be communicated effectively? Maybe you've worked with people who have great ideas, but they can't communicate them effectively. So we're going to talk about the stepping in process in this unit, but I'm going to step off that for just a second and talk about uh, a little declaration that you, you need to be aware of, that you cannot keep a secret. Uh, where your contact declares an intent to injure themselves or others. You simply can't. Not just as a person in a workplace, but as a person who has some training on how to talk to people. Now, there may be some regional variations on this. In, you know, Red Friday is an international organization, so you may be not in a part of the world where, where that is the expectation. But in our experience, you have to step in if somebody indicates that they're going to injure themselves. The other piece we are always push for is if you suspect negligence or abuse of a child, you need to act on that. You need to report it. Several times as a command chief, I had to bring in children's aid into an environment that was simply unsafe for children. What does neglect and abuse look like? Uh, neglect is things like uh, no food, no, no cleanliness, uh, beyond recreational drug use in front of a children. What does abuse look like? Uh, watching children being exposed to violence in, in the home life, those are serious things. And you need to remind people as often as necessary that you have an obligation to your community and an obligation to the employer to step up when that stuff happens. Talk a minute about uh, body, and body language and, and the environment. These are all kind of separate fields of study. So we encourage you to, to follow on with your, your training on these areas because the more you know about this, the more effective you can be because they do say that 90% of communication is nonverbal. So that means it's got to come from some other places like this. One of the things we, we know works is, is mirroring. So if you have somebody who is in an anxious state, you kind of lean forward a little bit and 
use a, uh, a soothing voice and sort of turn your head a little bit so you understand them. You move in, you move out, you do what it, they're doing unless they have their arms crossed and then you lean forward and uncross your arms and uncross your arms a few times and maybe they'll uncross your arm. That's their arms. That's called mirroring. It's very clever. It's very interesting. It's very much done in sales, but it helps people relax and that's something we always want to do. As far as eye contact goes, you have to be somewhat sensitive to some cultural uh, issues where you know you may be speaking to someone who finds constant eye contact uh, unsettling or disrespectful. Be aware of that before you you know bore into them with your eyeballs. But make supportive and connecting eye contact so people feel like you're you, they have your full attention. That's really an awful lot of this. You know, if if people feel that they've had your full attention and they've been fully and completely heard, sometimes that's all they're really looking for. Be aware of your hand gestures. You know, we sometimes gesticulate wildly thinking we're, we're making a, a, a more emphatic position and all that really does is distract people. So really watch that stuff. And something else we always have to be aware of is, is if you're standing. If you're standing and you're speaking to somebody that is in a seated position, there is an inherent power imbalance that comes with that and it's just not reasonable to expect that kind of communication to be effective. Also true if they're standing in your city. While we're talking about relationships of, of environments, you always want to have furniture at a 90 degree so that they're here and you're here on the corner of a desk. I can't really give you a very good drawing of that, but the alternative to that is that is that they're on the other side of the desk. And that always evokes a sense of the vice principal's office. So really be aware of that. And also even chair heights, you know, if you've ever gone to events or trade shows or something like that, if somebody's sitting in a regular height chair, you're not going to really walk up to them and talk to them. But sometimes for some reason, if they're sitting at a stool that's more like at a booth and you're at eye level, it, it equalizes the process and we tend to be more engaging with those kind of people. So watch for that. Also, bear in mind that people sometimes need to know where the exits are and they need to sometimes be able to see the exit. So watch for that. Don't position yourself so that you're trying to talk to somebody and to get away from you to the exit, they got to get past you. Some people are really anxious about that, especially if they're in an agitated state. So be really aware of the environment that you're in. And also recognize too that there is an inherent sense of home field advantage. So if you bring someone into your office for a conversation, you should know that they're probably going to be uncomfortable right off the hop because you have home field advantage in their view. So you got to really be mindful of that when you're having serious conversations. A, a really good example of that is is uh, if you've ever gone to parent-teacher night as, as a grown-up and uh, you have a bunch of things to say and you've got a bunch of issues you want to discuss and you get into the classroom and there's no adult chairs and you end up sitting on a kid's chair, suddenly the power imbalance shifts to the point where you feel fairly neutralized by that and that's all environmental. So be aware of, of the impact that that can have on, on uh, conversations that you're trying to have with people because what we're trying to do is manage that scarf implication so that people feel connected and, and we can't have an environment where they don't. So uh, something else to, to recognize too is when you're dealing with really, really stressed people, you want to try to speak a little slower and speak a little lower, like lower your voice maybe a half an octave and minimize the amount of fluctuation or modulation in your voice. So it's kind of like the uh, if you've had some first aid training or something and you talk to somebody say, it's really important that you stay still right now because we're going to make sure you're safe, but I need you to hold still while we put this on your neck. This is going to keep you safe. Just take some deep breaths. We're all going to be great and you're not going to die today. 
that kind of conversation we have it all the time without thinking about it if you've ever talked to frightened children you use that voice um, or if uh, you know you little skittish animals like guinea pigs and stuff you talk to them that sort of a way be mindful of, of the effect that your voice has and be mindful of how modulating it a little bit can, can help you uh, de-escalate a, a circumstance don't be smarmy about it but do it in a way that people will, will feel more supported and more listened to we're going to move on to scarf theory now this comes to us from David Rock who's a psychologist from Australia and his theory is that people's sense of safety and their willingness to engage has to overcome the stimuli around us that makes us withdraw. The safety piece means that we come forward, the fear piece means that we withdraw. And it's a social piece rather than uh, the threat assessment piece that's always going on uh, as a prey animal. This is more the thing about how do we keep people engaged in conversation? And if you've ever been so completely shocked by the way someone has spoken to you in a conversation or, and you're just completely speechless and gobsmacked and you can't think of a witty retort until an hour later when you're in the car, what's happened is you have just been hijacked by somebody who has taken over your amygdala and you have felt psychologically unsafe and you've gone, look, that's exactly what we're here to talk about. The start of this process, the S in SCARF, is for status. And it's about where we believe we fit into the tribe or the organization or the pack. And that sense of status can be really easy, easily disoriented and dis distorted and we can really feel left out. And most of the time uh, it comes from being disrespected in front of others or if we're talked down to uh, in front of people who are not our equal or also sometimes if we've been given a, a task that we believe to be beneath us uh, that uh, that is actually something that's going to injure our sense of status and uh, any sort of bullying or respectful workplace policies are designed to address this very thing invariably when you have bullying or respectful workplace disputes status is part of it the C in SCARF is for certainty, and we like to pretend that we like surprises, and oh yeah, surprise me, but we are very much the certainty-seeking creatures, and, and uh, we, we want as much of it as we can. In fact, not knowing what's going to happen to us or our future, whether it's you know at home or at work, makes us withdraw, and, and in extreme cases, it can be absolutely paralyzing. So. You know, try, try to tell the truth as much as you can. As long as you're not jamming up trade secrets, try to tell the truth as much as you can. The other piece, the A in SCARF, is for autonomy. And this is something we don't, I don't think we give enough consideration to in the workplace. And, uh, you know, people need some choices. So if you've ever worked for a micromanager who was one of those guys who, you know, told you exactly what to do and how to do it and when and said stuff like, don't do anything till I get there and I didn't authorize this decision and who told you to do that and those kind of guys. The, the thing with them is that they get in, this, in the way of our sense of autonomy and, uh, you know, even in highly structured environments that don't ha have a lot of choice in them, we really will withdraw if we don't have any sense of autonomy. We, we eventually will hope that the whole organization is going to fail. When that happens, it creates a thing called malicious obedience. So if you've ever seen maybe an article in the paper where some big and otherwise well-led organization has something really stupid happen inside of it, what's occurred is that the people have tried to help and they've tried to help their leader and they've made suggestions and they made suggestions and they've tried to say, you know, if you do that, this could happen and they've been ignored and they've been shut down and they've been disrespected and they've been had their autonomy taken away from them. What they'll actually do is they will wait for a really stupid order and follow it to the letter. 
That way, when the whole thing blows up, which it absolutely invariably is going to, they can say, eh, that's what you told us to do. We were just following orders. So if you see that, look for malicious obedience. And uh, I'll give you something else to think about with, with uh, autonomy. There's a, a lot of uh, what we find in the leadership uh, study world and in the, the sales and marketing study world, there's a lot of overlap when it comes to getting people to sort of think the way you want them to think. So I'll give you something called the alternative of choice, which actually comes from an old sales manual from a guy named Zig Ziglar. It's really interesting stuff. You should, you should maybe have a look at it. If you give people a small choice, they own the outcome. So, for example, in the modern world, if you had a kid that was playing outside all day on a sunny summer day and he's all dirty and he's got all grass stains and stuff on him and it's getting to be 6 o'clock and you yell up to back, Hey, buddy boy, you're filthy and it's going to be dinner in 30 minutes. You want to have a bath before dinner or after dinner? The guy goes, hey, I'm going to have my bath after dinner. Okay. So when he comes, you feed him, send him upstairs, he has his bath. Alternatively, he might go, nope, I'm having my bath before dinner. You say, all right, pal, meet you upstairs. And you run the bath and, and, and away you go. At the end of that story, you've got a clean kid who's fed. No fuss, no muss. You didn't have to argue or cajole or any threaten the kid in any way. He decided what he was going to do. That's called the alternative of choice. Anytime you can give people a choice, it, it lowers the anxiety level and it's more likely to get them to do what you want because if you make the choice in a way that either way you get what you want, in this case a fresh, uh, a clean uh, uh, fed kid, that's the deal. So think about that as, as you work through your leadership role as well. thing uh, with micromanagers is that you know they, 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 it's a real turnoff to be around them and uh, beyond the, the malicious obedience piece that we just talked about, uh, it can actually be a form of bullying. So you may have to get in front of it if it's somebody, something that's happening around you. And most of the time, in my experience at least, um, it's driven by an insecurity. You have to provide a little kindness in your thinking though because it actually could also be an echo from a previous trauma bond. Um, sometimes a, a victim of a trauma bond will try to control the things that they can and have zero trust in others. So this would be something from their, their personal life. So if you find that you sometimes are slipping into uh, the micromanaging piece and it's possible that you have had some sort of trauma bond in your life, this would probably be a good time to, to talk to a professional about it. The R in SCARF is for relatedness. And we all want to feel like we're part of something bigger. And uh, you know, without the bigger thing, there is no us. And so, for example, in the fire service where I come from, the probationary hires really want to feel like they're part of the bigger organization. They, they didn't just do this for the t-shirt. They want to be part of the big thing. And the, the fact that they're not part of it yet kind of keeps them on edge. But that's not always a bad thing because trust is earned, especially in an environment where, where people's lives are at stake. You know, you have to earn trust in those kind of spots. So the, the, the relatedness piece is something we always want to strike the note that we are in this thing together in the workplace. Fairness is really fascinating because we, we inherently cannot abide fairness, uh, unfairness in terms of the treatment of ourselves and others. So, you know, we also can't accept that some people can skate on certain behaviors that are actionable by others. And where you see that sometimes would be where, um, you know, the top salespeople get away with abusing the support staff or even harassing them because they're the people that are making the numbers on the quarter. We see that sometimes. Um, or, or, you know, the, the high flyers in the organization aren't held accountable. Uh, this is something that the, the fairness piece comes up an awful lot. And uh, the back of our mind, we go, 
you know, if the employer is being unfair to my peer today, when are they going to be unfair to me? So know that an absence of fairness is the starting point of all rebellions and all revolutions. And uh, it's also the thing that brings organized labor into a workplace, the absence of fairness. And it's oftentimes something that's very easy to fix. You just have to have some courage. So we encourage you to use SCARF in, in you know, your leadership style and how you're communicating with others. So you ask yourself, you know, do you use nicknames of people you don't really know well in front of others? Is it a chance that you're injuring their status? Do you give uh, vague answers when you know the truth? You know, are you providing what certainty you can? Are you telling people how to do their jobs, especially in front of others? Where's the autonomy piece? It's sometimes up to you to provide it. Do you make them feel like some people, like they're, they're not cutting it on the team? The relating this piece we know is critical. And then equally important, are you letting your own personal favorites away with stuff that uh, is actionable? You know, and then you, you, you let them away with stuff and you bark at other people for the same stuff. So we want you to apply SCARF into your style and your approach, approach and, and do it in not just the way you talk, but in when you write memos, when you're having conversations, when, you're having, when you release public announcements. You know, one of the times that you oftentimes see an absence of SCARF is right around the end of the school year, May, June, you always see school boards getting jammed up with uh, dress code issues. And they are always lacking SCARF. So have a look at that. The thing also with SCARF is it's really useful when we're trying to request some kind of change in others. And, uh, you know, if you're planning on having a, a performance conversation, you want to ensure that your content, your piece of it at least, is SCARF informed. And we do, we, we try to keep people in the, in the right spot because... As we've mentioned before, the amygdala sends out that, that uh, danger signal that releases the hormones from social stimuli. So, you know, the safe conversation piece lives right here. You have to have that engagement and withdrawal thing, being aware that it, it, it's based on how our unconscious mind perceives where it is in its story. So we try to ensure safety in conversation and people who feel unsafe or threatened They'll go to, to silence, and the silence thing is this, or they'll lean their head over, or they won't speak, or they'll look away when you're not talking, to, or you're speaking with them. Or the other piece you'll sometimes see is violence. Well, they will lean in. They will be accusing. They may even touch you. They may even uh, yell at you. Okay, those are the silence and violence thing are really good indicators that it ain't working the way you want it to. And the truth is, when those things are happening, you can talk all you want. The, the truth is that they're not listening. So you're not actually in a dialogue. You may be given the best speech that was ever given in your workplace. Nobody's hearing it. So we have to maintain as much safety as we can in conversation. And, and we do that by trying to ensure that we have a, a shared value or a shared goal. And it's sometimes just as simple of, as recognizing that, hey, we all want to get along here, right? It's a long day if we're not getting along. We need to do what we can to work together. Or let's have some more fun here, okay? When was the last time we had a good laugh at work? Your values, your intention needs to be close enough to the other person so that you, ha you can share that desired outcome. So as far as the coaching and the communication tips, um, you really can't expect any meaningful movement from somebody by just outlining your concerns or issues. This is like yelling at a child to get them to clean your, their room. They're not going to care about it just because you care about it. One of the things that we find that can really help uh, a person take a look inside or you know, apply a little bit of clarity and a little bit of judgment is we, 
we do a more open-ended question in our approach to the conversation. So instead of saying, what were you thinking? We say, you know, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me understand how we got here? What, what were the early decisions that got us to this spot? So if you're asked a question like that, you might actually be inclined to, to review and you might be inclined to some candor. But if, if I did that previous question and say, what were you thinking? That's an automatic shot off, right? Nobody wants to be engaging in that kind of conversation. Or another one that can really work is, what do you see as the consequences of these decisions and these actions? What do you see as the consequences of these actions? What do you see as the consequences of your choices? And that gives them a little time to think. And, you know, this is actually another sales thing, is that when you ask a question like that, you don't talk next. You give them a chance to think and then let them speak. Opens up the conversation in a way that they also, in the SCARF world, have to take some uh, accountability and responsibility for that outcome. So if you find that things starting to blow up and you're trying to find, you're seeing that the dialogue starting to decay around you and, you know, you're seeing that uh, the silence and the violence piece and the body language becoming hostile, you get on track by flat out apologizing. It's almost always that they're feeling somehow attacked or disrespected. Just to say you're sorry. Hey man, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable here. That was not my intent. I'm trying to sort out an issue here that's affecting all of us. So I need your help with that. Okay, you apologize. Try it. And then the other piece you can do is provide a little contrast and say, you know, I, I think you think I, I, I meant... X and I really didn't. What I was getting at was Y. I didn't mean that. I meant this. So a little bit of contrast gives you a little bit of wiggle room and lets them relax a little bit. So as we build out the skill set, the, the two things that we find that supervisors, especially the new ones, uh, really, really struggle with and, and actually dread is they really hate the idea of giving a performance review or an appraisal or you know some sense of, of feedback on the quality of someone's work. And the other thing that frightens them to death is having to have a behavioral health conversation, the kind that nudge people towards care. And I'll tell you the truth, you need to be prepared for these things. You can't just slide into them and hope for the best. So you got to have a plan before you have these conversations. And you need to use your resources. And, you know, your HR department can maybe offer you some help with that. They may have some coaching. The EFAP oftentimes has leadership coaching sessions that you can make a call and say, I've got this issue with this person. Can you give me some pointers? And also don't forget, you have some mentors in your life and in your career that got you where you are. Take a minute and talk to those people before you go charging into something and have a plan. So we wanna wrap this little unit up on, on a reminder of the SCARF program. SCARF is featured in all of our leadership programs and is a deep and integral part of the Red Friday peer support programs. And we hope you really do find it useful and we really suggest and encourage you to use it in all of your communications at work and at home. Look forward to seeing you in the next unit.